You know, there are words that we use within the faith. That's one of them. That uh, it's kind of uh, unique to how Christians talk about certain things. Uh, in fact, uh, around the office, sometimes we call it Christianese, and uh, we realize that it doesn't always communicate well because uh, not everyone uh, understands Christianese. But there's one of those words that even followers of Christ use a lot without fully understanding what it means, and that's the word glory. Um, you know, you see the word used, I had a kind of a flashback to a movie scene of uh, some uh, down south revival meeting where, you know, somebody stands and says, glory! And uh, that's like, wow, is that weird, you know? But, uh, and then we talk about glory, and it's a word that we frequently use without fully appreciating the depth of its meaning. What is glory? What does it mean? And when we talk about the glory of God, what are we talking about? And when we say, let us glorify God, how do you do that exactly? What does that mean? Does that mean that you're waving your hands, that you're singing songs, that you're giving testimonies? How is it that we glorify God? You know, we lit four of the Advent candles this morning. Uh, they all now have flames burning in them. You know, the glory of a candle is its flame. When it's extinguished... It's just a piece of wax with a string in the middle. Uh, it doesn't do anything but just sit there. But when you light it, the glory of the candle can be seen. There are reasons for that. One is the candle is fulfilling its purpose. And in one sense, the glory of a thing is when it's being what it is supposed to be. The other thing is, when it's fulfilling its purpose, it does something for us. It, it brings light. There's actually warmth. Um, many, many years ago, when I was uh, into backpacking as uh, one of my uh, enjoyable pastimes, I studied uh, wilderness survival and things like that, and not that it ever got terribly cold down in Tennessee, but it did get cold periodically, and you know, and I was interested in how people survived in uh, emergencies in the cold, and I learned that there was an old Native American technique of taking a single candle or a single flame and sitting cross-legged over a tiny area where you might have a candle or you might just have a very, very small fire, not bigger than a flame, and sitting that way and making a tent of yourself by pulling uh, your coat around you and holding in the flame. It's amazing how much warmer you can be just by doing something as simple as that with something as uh, small as a single candle. When the candle is lit, it brings the light, it brings the warmth, and really, the flame is the glory of a candle. Everything has its own glory. In fact, if you read Paul's uh, letter to the Corinthians, uh, first letter, and you get down to the 15th chapter, and he's talking about the resurrection of the body. He talks about uh, how the body that goes into the ground is not the same body that comes out of the ground. Now, some people get a little disturbed about that because they think, wow, are we going to know each other, recognize each other? But that's not what he's saying. Of course we'll recognize each other. His disciples recognized him after the resurrection. And we know that when we see him, we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. So there are similarities, but Paul says the glory of the resurrected body is different. 
And then he compares it to the glory of heavenly bodies. And he says the moon has a glory and the sun has a glory and, and different elements. The stars have a glory and birds have a glory. And he begins to kind of go through some of the things of nature. And what he's really saying is they each have their own unique attributes that speak of their nature, of who they are, or what they do, or, or their purpose. And when those are clearly seen, the glory of that thing is revealed. We see it in as it was designed to be. Well, I take you all the way back now to the glory of God. And to recognize this morning that when God is glorified, he is being revealed for who he is in truth. His character, his nature is being perceived and understood. He's being unveiled, as it were, and we can see who he is. So when we glorify God, we honor him and bring to light who he is. We celebrate his nature. We proclaim His character. And it's important that we do that accurately. Um, if we fail to accurately represent God, then we are actually creating an idol. Or we are misrepresenting Him in some way that, that distracts from His nature. Of course, it doesn't distract from God but from our understanding of who he is. And many people misrepresent God. They proclaim him out of balance. They don't reflect accurately his whole nature. If you look in John's Gospel, chapter 1, John speaks about the glory of God in Christ. John's Gospel, chapter 1 in verse 14, John says this, And the Word became flesh. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of an only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is telling us something about Jesus. He is saying that when the Word became flesh, when Jesus Christ became incarnate in a human body and tabernacled or dwelt among us on this earth, that he reflected the glory of God. That his life unveiled the character and the nature of God by observing him. He says he was full of grace and full of truth. You know, we have a hard time keeping those two things together sometimes. Uh, oftentimes people are strong on truth and short on grace. And as a consequence, they become very harsh and judgmental and critical and uh, kind of hyper-religious and actually end up developing spiritual arrogance. They don't reflect God very well. They don't accurately give us a picture of who He is because they only reflect the truth. And truth, truth is truth. But Jesus is full of grace and truth. Some people, however, lean to the side of grace uh, and we talk about grace being unmerited favor, and we tend to make God into some sort of warm fuzzy who is uh, ushy and gushy and sentimental and uh, kind of sickly sweet and sort of a Santa Claus in the sky kind of figure. And that's not true either. But Jesus Christ is the one whom John says, revealed the character of God full of grace and full of truth. He is the only one who is able to hold those two aspects of the nature of God in perfect harmony, 
without diminishing either one of them. And so John says, This is he of whom I said, uh, John the Baptist, the one who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And then John makes these profound words. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. In other words, John says, Jesus Christ is the one who comes from the very core, the very heart of God's essential being. And he comes to this earth wearing skin in human flesh so that he can accurately explain who God is. So much so that after his three years of ministry, when the disciples were meeting with him in that last supper, and they were having dinner together, Jesus said to them, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and take you to that place that I've prepared so that where I am, there you can be also. And the disciples kind of puzzled, started looking at each other, saying, We don't know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? And Jesus explained that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that he was the one who was going to usher them into the presence of the Father. And one of the disciples said to him, If you could just show us the Father... I mean, here's all this talk, and we don't understand what you're saying. If you could just show us the Father, that would be sufficient. It it probably wouldn't have been, but it seemed to them like it might have. And Jesus made this statement, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have watched me, if you have been with me, if you have seen how I live, how I eat, how I work, how I talk. If if you have observed my habits and experienced my character and followed my nature, you have seen the Father. Because I am always representing His character. In every circumstance, I act as God would act, because I and my Father are one. It's an amazing thing that Jesus Christ has so perfectly revealed to us the Father. The theme of this Sunday in our Advent celebration is the theme of love. And I'd like us to turn to another of John's writings for the text this morning, That was all introduction, by the way. (laughs) The text is actually found in 1 John chapter 4. That really, how many of you know where the love chapter in the Bible is? Anyone want to hazard a guess? 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter of the Bible. We all know that because that's where it says... Love is kind, love is patient, you know, and it's got all those things. They read it at weddings and they uh, talk about it all. Well, I really think that 1 John chapter 4 may be the love chapter of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 defines love for us most helpfully, but 1 John chapter 4 beginning in verse 7 gives us the essence and heart of love with God and with human beings. Follow with me as I read, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. Manifested means to make known. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means that which satisfies the demand of God for wrath and judgment. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, abides in Him, and He in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. If we are going to properly glorify God, as we talk about the advent of Christ and the Christmas message, we have to accurately portray him. We cannot emphasize one side over against another and forget that they are both there. To accurately portray the character of God means that we recognize that he is a holy God, that he is a just God, that he is righteous, that he cannot ignore or otherwise just simply push away the problem of sin, but he must deal with it. It's part of his essential nature. He cannot pretend that it isn't the case, nor can he uh, remove from his mind his anger towards sin. Unless there is adequate payment and, and punishment that covers the problem. But on the other side of the coin, God's character also demands that he himself in his love and grace and mercy make a way for us who are estranged from him to be reconciled. And the message of Christmas, the message of the coming of Jesus Christ, is expressed in verse 9, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. The whole message of the Gospel and the whole message of Christmas begins with the message that God is love. It begins with the, the glory of His character that is revealed in Jesus Christ that God is a loving God and that all through human history all beginning with that first hint in Genesis 
and going all through the Old Testament, culminating in that cattle shed or whatever it was, sheep cave with the manger where a baby was born. That was the pivotal point of all of human history. Everything for all the, the millennia prior was pointing to that one event when the love of God was made clear in the giving and sending of Jesus Christ. And everything since history, uh, since that moment in history, points back to that. That was the moment that all of the Old Testament saints waited for. It was the longing and hope of people throughout the ages that a Savior would be born. And it has been since then the confidence and the hope that we have that in Jesus Christ we can know the Father. He has come and explained Him. And so the first message is that God loves us. And as he said to the prophets in the Old Testament, I have loved you, speaking of Israel, with an everlasting love. I was back in the back praying just before our service started, and I had a flash go through my mind of a thought, you have those things that just kind of zing through. And uh, I remembered the scripture passage that God spoke to me from when he called me to be his proclaiming servant, his preacher. That was in Jeremiah, the call of Jeremiah when he said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. I think I've shared my story with you, many of you. Some of you don't know that, but I was adopted when I was about two and a half years old and raised in the Martin family, hence my name now, Martin. And uh, the circumstances of my birth were far less than deliberate. I was born to a single mother who was a victim of date rape and born in Canada, transported back to Tampa and relocated by the grace of God into the family that I ended up in. And, you know, by all human reckoning, um, I was an, ag an accident uh, a, a, a miss kind of adventure, a date gone bad. Um, you know, so what does God do with someone like me? But he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Do you know this morning that God has known your name from all eternity past? Do you know that despite human foibles and misery and all of that, that in God's providence and care, He takes note of everything, understanding the end from the beginning, and that He has set his affection and his love upon you from before the foundation of the earth? Do you know how special you are to him? How much he loves you? He has known you since the second of your conception. And he knew you before then. He knew the name that your parents would give you. And if I read my Bible right, he also has a special name that he has given you. A name 
that perfectly suits who you are. A name that will be revealed to you when Jesus comes again. And you receive that name that he has crafted for you that is a perfect fit for your personality and your uniqueness and your special character. And he has known you. And when the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ hanging on the cross did so for the joy that was set before him. Hebrews chapter 12, read that when you get home today. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, treated the shame of being stripped naked and nailed to a tree as being worthwhile despise the shame in order to accomplish the necessary redemption to recover you from the bondage of sin and self-centeredness and misery and to bring you home to himself in the imagery of scripture he has made us his bride And he paid the ultimate price for us that we might come home to the Father's house with him and live with him forever. If you're here this morning, it's true of everyone, but it's particularly true of you to whom I speak. If you're here this morning, you're not an accident. You're not a foible of human sin or even parental love. You're here because God has crafted you and shaped you and formed you and fashioned you and known you from eternity past. And he is so attentive to you that he knows the hairs that are on your head He knows your thoughts before you think them. Imagine a God who is that close to you right now. That nothing you do escapes his attention. I don't mean that necessarily in the judgmental sense, but in the intimate sense. He watches you closely. You know how you... Observe the people you love. You get to know their ways. You become familiar with their voice. You know how they walk. You know their characteristics and mannerisms. Because you study the people you love. God knows you like that and more. Because he is intent upon you. Jesus Christ has come to show us the love that God has for us. And then John explains in this passage, he says, not not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his only son to die for us. He says, we love him, verse 19, because he First, loved us. Love for God comes out of the love he has for us. Our capacity to respond to God. Where were we before the message of Jesus Christ came home to our hearts? Well, Isaiah says all we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to his own way. I read to you just a week or so ago Romans chapter 3 and talked about the lostness of the lost the fact that people outside of Christ are kind of wandering in the darkness and they don't see the light and and they're you know they're 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 lost really in the dark they're not able to love God in fact they don't want to love God may i say something to you this morning that is very 
very important to understand. If you find in your heart, even though you may not be at this moment in time a committed follower of Jesus Christ, if you find in your heart an interest in God and an affection for Him and a desire to know Him, did you know that God Himself is putting that there in you? Did you know that He is already on the hunt for you? That He is seeking you out? Because the Scripture says on our own, no one thinks about God. No one turns to Him. Oh, there's all kinds of religion that people get tangled up with, but no one has a genuine hunger for God apart from the Holy Spirit coming to them and beginning to draw them to the Father's love, draw them to the light. That's His ministry, the Spirit of God coming to open your eyes. And so the Scripture says, we love God because He first loved us. Our only capacity for responding to Him is because He has already come to us. Do you love Him this morning? Do you this morning find welling up in your heart great affection and deep love for God? Do you find yourself counting the ways that He has loved you and given to you and filled your life with His presence and His well-being? Have you taken time lately to think about the fact that because of Jesus Christ, you will never die? Isn't that amazing? You will never die. That, that's what he says in the verse I read you first, verse 9. By this the love of God is manifested that God sent his Son into the world that we might live through him. And Jesus said to Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, as they were mourning and weeping over their brother's death, chiding Jesus in their pain and grief, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And Jesus says some of the most profound words in all of the Scripture in response to, to Martha. You know, he says, Martha, you know, do you know who I am? Do you believe who I am? And he says, do you, do you believe in the resurrection? And, and she says, I, well, I, I know Lazarus will rise again in the last day. You know, that's kind of that. But don't you know that there's always a sense of loss and emptiness, even though you know there is a resurrection at the last day? that there is a void right now when a loved one departs. And Jesus says, don't you realize I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will never die. You know, it's one thing to think, well, maybe there's hope somewhere down the road. Maybe there's some kind of Maybe there's a resurrection out there, so I don't understand that, but I, I, I'll just kind of hope for that. And Jesus says, Lazarus is not dead, Martha. I, I know that you put a body in a tomb that was not breathing and wasn't responding. I know that. But he is not dead. He is alive. And he is living this moment. And the one who believes in me will be like that. They will never die. Have you thought this morning of how precious it is to know that you will never die? You may go through the valley of the shadow of death. You may experience this body failing you. You may die in the flesh. In fact, you certainly will if Jesus tarries. There's no question 
But you, the one God has known from creation past, the one who knows your name and the hairs on your head and the thoughts that you think, that you that's living inside this tent will never cease for a moment to exist in conscious awareness And you will move directly into the presence of God at the moment that you leave the tent of your body. You will move into the presence of God. Have you thought about that? And the proof was in the pudding when Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus and he didn't speak to a dead man. He called out his name. He said, Lazarus? You know, I mean, if the people standing there had thought about that for like a heartbeat, it would be like, what are you doing talking to a rock? You're talking to, the, to, a, to a door on a tomb in a cave. What's the matter with you? He's dead. And Jesus said, no, he's not. And he can, furthermore, he can hear me. Lazarus, come out of there. And somehow he managed to get to the entrance of the tomb wrapped in grave cloths and Jesus said get those things off of him and let's go home and have dinner wow four days because he is Lord of life and he has broken the power of death and you and I live because doesn't that make you love him And when you have those you cherish so deeply and you love so much that have left this life but left knowing Christ, don't you know the joy that they are alive in His presence? How can you not love God who has done such amazing things for us? Not only every moment of this life, not only I will be with you and never leave you and never forsake you, not only I have loved you with an everlasting love, not only I I know the hairs of your head, I pay attention to your life, I even know when you sit down and when you... I know all there is to know about you, but to know, to know that we go on forever in His presence and we'll be together in His presence. And we'll enjoy life forever because of Jesus coming, because God loved us. So the message of Christmas is God loves us and has shown it in the giving of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are able to love him. But as John makes it so clear in this love chapter, When we come to know him and come to know his love, then we love each other. Friends, the world, (laughs) there are thousands of songs out there. There may be more than that, but I'm safe in saying thousands. There are thousands of songs in every genre of music that more or less say what the world needs now is love, sweet love. You know, that's... That's all over, and that's the theme of, of the vast majority of music in one way or another, is we need love. We need to be loved. We need to give love. We need to experience love. We need to have love. I um, got my XM radio turned back on. They offered me a deal I couldn't resist. They gave me six months for 25 bucks. Of course, they're going to probably stick it to me after the six months are up. But anyway... So I turned it back on, and every once in a while I listened to those songs from my high school days, you know, and listened to the songs of the 60s, and those, that was the Vietnam War era, by the way, and even the war protest songs, when you listen to them, they were about love, you know? Why do we need all these guns and things? Why don't we just get along with each other? The world cries out for that. But here's a startling reality. The scripture says, and if you believe the Bible, you you have something to reckon with here. The scripture says, it is not possible to truly love outside of Jesus Christ. Now, immediately there is an objection raised that says, wait a minute. 
people do love each other. They do sacrifice for one another. Human history is filled with heroic deeds and, and acts of amazing sacrifice and the giving of ourselves as people for the care of others. I mean, history's full of that, and they weren't all Christians, and I won't disagree with you. But I will say that the depths of love in all of its beauty and complexity and reality of unconditional love one for the other can only be experienced in Jesus Christ. Let me read you what he says. Verse 7, 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then verse 12, No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He's given us of His Spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior. Whoever confesses Jesus as the Son of God abides in Him, and He in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. And he says, we have confidence in the day of judgment. There's no fear in love, because perfect love casts out fear. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God. And I was thinking about that because there are people outside of Christ who do make amazing demonstrations. But those who see no need for a Savior... see no fault in themselves, no significant fault. They are not capable of genuine, unconditional love because they are always comparing others to themselves. And when you think about the person outside of Christ who doesn't think they need a Savior, and you analyze their lives, they will tell you, I'm basically a fairly decent person. I do my very best. In fact, if you were to say to them, if you should die and stand before God, and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? They would respond with confidence, because I've lived a good life. Because I've done my best to do what's right. And because I have uh, tried to be a decent human being. And I think if anybody gets in, I should. The problem with that kind of thinking is, is that when they look at others who have great need, who are in dire circumstances, their attitude tends to be pity, not identity. When they look at the person who is a drug addict, burnt out, or an alcoholic, washed up, or has colossally failed in some other way, they might be willing to help. They might be willing to throw something at the Salvation Army or the Goodwill or maybe, uh, you know, throw some money toward rehab or something and, and uh, try to be philanthropic in some way or another. But when they see people like that, their attitude tends to be one of pity. I'm not like that. I would never be like that. I can manage my life. I feel sorry for them. They're beneath me, but I'll toss them a crumb. I'll give them something. 
when they look at people that are more successful and more accomplished and more prestigious than they are, then they tend to have envy. If I work hard enough, one day I'll be like they are. Or the dark side of envy, you know, they got where they were because of some other things that went on, and I haven't had as many opportunities, but I'll get there one day. And when they look at their peers, they tend to look in terms of kind of a conditional equality. We can be buddies as long as you don't mess up too much. But the concept of unconditional love that I will stick with you no matter what because I love you is missing. It's missing not only in friendships, it's missing in marriage. It's missing in parent-child relationships because there comes a point where they can only say, you know what, I've given this my best shot and you're just not measuring up. So hit the road, Jack. I can't do this. I don't need to do this. I've got my life to live. Because at the bottom line, at the end of the day, it's all about me. There may be those momentary acts of heroism when actually God breaks through. I think that's really what happens. Because we see... <coughs> the evidence of God in every human life. But by and large, the life as a whole is not capable. A person needs to know that they need a Savior before they can truly love. They need to know they're broken. They need to be able to look at that drug addict or that alcoholic or that person in pathetic circumstances and say, I could be there. That could be me. I have that in me. Only the grace of God. Only those who know they're broken. But if all you know is that you're broken, then that creates a whole different kind of personality. There are those who kind of have managed to keep life in balance somehow, and they're going through life feeling like they're doing pretty well. And the other side of the coin is there are those who have failed miserably, and they know they have. But if they haven't found a Savior, they tend to be totally absorbed in their own misery and their own failure. They're stuck on their own problems. All they can talk about is themselves. They're, they're lost in their own hopelessness. Oh, but when Jesus comes and transforms their life and forgives their failures and their sin and heals the brokenness of their life and their heart and begins to restore them in love, then there's the capacity to love because they have been loved so much. It takes a person to genuinely love who has both recognized their brokenness and found redemption in the Savior to be whole. One of the songs that the Gaithers wrote a number of years ago, Bill Gaither penned the words to this, I believe it was him, and he said, I am loved. I am loved. I can risk loving you because the one who knows me best loves me most. Only a person who's been changed by the grace of God can get into your stuff without being afraid of what you're going to find out about them and love you genuinely because they're not afraid of what they're going to find out about you. And only the one who's been changed by the grace of God can love unconditionally. Isn't that amazing? What the world needs now is love, sweet love. But that can only be found in Jesus Christ.
God loved the world, he sent his son. Jesus loved us and showed us what the Father was like. We love God because he first loved us. And now in the transformation of the gospel, we are truly able to love one another, as the Christmas carol goes. We are able to treat one another as our brother and our sister and truly love because we have been changed by the grace of God. How's your love life this morning? Do you love? Are you loved? Do you know it? Are you able to glorify God by the way that you love? in the way that you show it. And friend, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know He knows your name. He knows you. He loves you. And if you're feeling a drawing toward Him, that's because He's already come looking for you. And he wants you to spend eternity in his presence. Whole, clean, forgiven, restored, redeemed, and loved forever. And the ones who live and believe in him will never die. Father, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name. We thank you for the way you have loved us. We thank you for your grace and mercy and kindness toward us. We thank you that you have yourself dealt with our sin in a way that you could both be just and, and bring the punishment that it deserved while at the same time saving us and redeeming us and loving us. We praise you for your goodness and your blessings. And I pray this morning, Lord, that if there are any here who don't know you, that they would open their heart to the love of God this morning in Jesus Christ. And that we would also be willing to examine our love life if we think we know you and we don't. It will show up in the way that we love. Open our hearts to see. Praise you for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen.